Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Analytic Assist with me, Dr. Shauna G, where you'll hear me interview an expert or experts on their work that is somehow related to energy, and probably a few things outside of that, because this is about the science, but it's also about making the science relatable. So going to go off on a different, sort of a, take it a different direction, but it is really important to what's happening in the world. And I think we'll continue to have questions, especially for nursing staff, clinicians, um, you know, in this era of COVID and talking about managing patients with cardiac complications. The presence of COVID has, it's got huge implications. Um, as far as you being a cardiac ICU nurse, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so before I kind of get into that, my unit, I know we've talked about this, but my unit is a clean unit. So when I say clean, I mean, um, we are not accepting um, active COVID-19 patients. Um, so at my hospital, um, the children's hospital that I work at, um, we are accepting COVID patients up to the adult age just because um, adult hospitals in D.C. and places like New York, they are overflowing. Um, so our pediatric ICU, our PICU, um, has a pod that has COVID-19 patients. Um, and I think most units at my hospital do. I know our hematology unit, so the cancer unit, they're staying a clean unit and we're staying a clean unit. And basically the main reasons for that is because um, our patients' hearts are not going to be able to properly give the body the energy they need if they have, if they got COVID-19. Um, I mean, we, our patients are set over the edge if they have like a normal rhinovirus, which for you and I would be a common cold. I mean, that can sometimes set our kids over into being ventilated, muscle relaxed, sedated on three different blood pressure medications, on this, on that. Um, so I can only imagine how sick um, my patients would be with um, COVID-19. Uh, a lot of people like to compare it to flu. Um, I, you know, I haven't dealt with COVID-19 patients. I've dealt with a ton of flu patients. I mean, I've unfortunately had patients die of flu over and over again, which is when I started taking that really seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and I always kind of harass my friends to get their flu shots <laughs> every year. Oh, I um, remember. I got the question. Shauna, did oh, you yeah. get the flu? I did. Oh yeah. I call my <laughs> friends out. <laughs> um, but as far as COVID-19, I mean, um, as we've seen in places like Italy and New York and places that just haven't really had it under control, um, people can die really quickly and can get really sick and um, can have tons of complications and can end up on life support and can be on a ventilator and breathing tube for 30, 40 days, um, which every single day you're on a ventilator um, is a huge setback and is a huge, um, I mean, it's a factor in whether you're ever going to be able to come off that ventilator. Um, so kind of the whole healthcare system has had to compensate and has kind of had to figure out a new normal for things. Um, so on my unit, we are constantly testing all of our patients. 
even though we're not accepting new patients that would be COVID positive, we are constantly still, we're still an ICU. We still have to kind of go on as normal. We're constantly accepting patients from the outside that are sick or patients that are born um, fresh. So if we have a newborn that comes in, we're testing their mom and we're testing them. Um, and until they are proven negative, we call them a patient under investigation. Um, mm. So we are wearing our N95s, we're wearing our PPE until we can be sure that they're negative. Um, so we're just trying to be as careful as we can to not spread it to any of our patients. So that being said, it's kind of been a huge impact for us, us as staff and us as clinicians because everything I'm doing outside of work, I am obviously being very careful um, to not right. be Thinking around about it 10 times not, over. Right. But as far as like my friends that are accountants that are working from home, et cetera, not to throw out accountants, just any sort of thing that you're not going into a hospital and working. Um, I'm having to think about all the decisions that I'm making and, um, just trying to really, really stay safe and healthy and clean to not be like an asymptomatic carrier and contract it and then go into work and right. have a really sick patient for 12 hours and then them end up getting it from me. Um, right. So it's kind of had to change kind of decisions um, that I would make for myself that I would normally, like this time of year is normally my huge travel time. I mean, I'm constantly going to friends' weddings, going to bachelorettes, going to the beach, going to like tropical places with big groups of friends. Um, but this kind of COVID-19 season has altered all of that and been an impact on my life. But at the end of the day, if that's the biggest impact it has on my life that I just can't travel, then that's privilege. I'm lucky and healthy um, because there's other people obviously that haven't been that hasn't been their experience. You know, they've been really sick. They've had family members die. They've um, had to take care of three patients with COVID-19 and with minimal help. So um, definitely thankful for that, but it is still just like an ever-changing healthcare system. I think our policies change <laughs> minute to minute, hour by hour. So we're constantly having meetings and emails. And I mean, I think the CDC and the um, World Health Organization is still trying to kind of figure out a new normal for the virus. Right. And as more information emerges, it's great, but it needs to be incorporated. And also, what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? And I'm sure it feels like, you know, your new normal is constantly changing. You know, you're constantly pivoting right. and trying to right. figure out what does that mean? So. Um, I would imagine it feels rather hectic. Very hectic. And normally, like when the CDC comes out with new guidelines, it's in the past, it's been, oh, well, this has worked with evidence-based practice. You know, um, mm -hmm. this is what has worked at these institutions for the last five years. But right now it's like our evidence-based practice is nothing. It's like, oh, well, based this, on works weeks. On this, right, <laughs> this worked for one week in this hospital ICU in this one city under these one circumstance. And you're just like, okay, but can that be a blanket of evidence-based practice? Can that work for everyone? Can these certain antiviral drugs that are coming out, did those work in every single patient in an ICU because of a certain circumstance? Or are those going to be a blanket 
oh, these will help everyone kind of recover from this. So I think that's what we're all trying to figure out. And it really touches back on risk versus benefit. How do you make that decision with two weeks worth of evidence in a very specific clinical scenario? (laughs) Right. And some of these um, kind of reports and these um, clinical trials, I'm putting that in air quotations because uh, we're not really having the time and the patient load and the patients to be able to do these real true clinical trials on these new antiviral drugs. There was one that came out recently and you look at the different markers um, at the end of the study that showed, you know, risk versus benefit. And a lot of the benefits were not minimal. I mean, days on a ventilator were nothing. Days in the hospital, there was no change days spent in an ICU, there was no change, et cetera. It goes on and on. So you're like, well, was this really an effective, like positive clinical trial? Or are we just trying to push this cure before we really know all of the risks that it could have? Right. Wow. Well, Anna, that's all my questions for you an hour later. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Hey, we kept it good. We kept it on topic. I always tell you I could literally talk for hours and hours and hours and get on a million tangents. Oh, well, Anna Hanlon, that's why you were perfect for this, because (laughs) it is really all about the science part. So thank you for sharing that piece of your thought process and your brain. And at the same time, thank you for being willing to be so open and discuss the idea of possible clinician burnout and what you do to battle that and some things that you've struggled with along the way. And I think that's really important as well. And I'm sure that there's going to be others listening to this that feel very much the same way. So thank you so much for your time. Before we end, do you have anything else you would like to talk about or did I get it all? (laughs) I think you covered it all. Um, Main thing is I'm just ready to see you and see all of our friends and all of our I I put normal in air quotes again as I'm ready to kind of try to figure out what the new normal is be able to go see people in person not via zoom Mm -hmm. I know well yes it'll absolutely be nice to see everyone in person and hug people (laughs) (laughs) and hug people for sure but well thank you so much Anna This is the Analytic Assist episode two. That's a wrap. Thank you all so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Analytic Assist. Additional information can be found in the podcast description below. Please leave your rating and reviews below and share with your friends. If you have any topics in mind related to energy, science, innovation, and your own interest, please let me know at drshaunag at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at The Analytic Assist. Until our next investigation, goodbye for now.